0: Just because it's hard, doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's hard, doesn't mean you should stop. When you to the outside world have reached a measure of success, you sort of then relax a little bit and you're not so worried about other people's opinions and what they think and feel. And because you kind of feel like I don't need to prove anything. I, you know, I've, I've proven already. Now I just get to do what I think is the right thing to do. I think there's I think there's probably also a little bit of ego tied up in that. You know, if we go back kind of 10 years and you say, uh, is sustainability important to you? I'm kind of going, I don't even really know what that is. Like what are you talking about? You know, yeah. the environment, I'm sure it's going to be okay.
1: Hello, and welcome to another bout of unboxing today. My sparring partner is Simon Duke, the managing director of Newsurf, which provides ethical and sustainable cleaning services to some of the UK's best known brands. The company has recently been recognized as a prestigious B Corp for meeting rigorous social and environmental standards and its commitment to goals beyond short-term profits. Before New Serve, Simon has lived on three continents, competed as a swimmer at national level and taught at a primary school, um, which I attended um, and coached a number of world-class athletes. So, Simon, welcome to the ring.
0: Thank you. Well, are you one of those world-class athletes? <laughs> I was literally,
1: when I was writing this out, and I was like, he's coached a number of world-class athletes. You mean me, don't you?
0: Obviously. <laughs> you mean me and my
1: brother. Brilliant world class <laughs> swimmers that just never quite made it. Now, who, who are some of those world class athletes? Do, do I? Sam Wade must be in that category, must he?
0: Yes, I guess uh, Sam and, and Tom from around the time that you were there, both competing. Um, I think Tom is still competing. Sam, definitely, I've seen recently, is still competing. Um, I think Grace Archer went on and did. Uh, Represented Wales and something, which was cool.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, world class. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And then, obviously, before coming to the UK, we worked with um, some summers over in South Africa.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, just to to outline for the for the listeners, um, yeah, when at primary school, I was yeah. I mean, I must have been about how old was I? Ten or eleven or something like that. Sort of just at the end of primary school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thereabouts. Um,
1: yeah, much to my delight, a uh a kind of um elite swimming squad got set up, which I I was selected for. And and yeah, Simon Somehow. headed yeah. Simon headed that up and um yeah, was was a pretty memorable coach, I must say. Um you you definitely took things to the next level in terms of intensity and probably, you know, fairly rarely seen at, at that age. And so how, how was that yeah, experience so- for you?
0: So it was an interesting one for me because the environment I came from in South Africa, I was working with club swimmers. Um, and I think at the time that I left, uh, so I was an assistant coach to um, still my best mate today. Um, and the group of swimmers that we worked with were, I think in the in the squad, we had something like three or four who were ranked top 10 in the world in their age group. So that was kind of the context and the background. Um, and we were used to doing, you know, when I think back now, ridiculously long sessions. And you know, we were doing something like it'd be, right, it's holiday time, kids don't have to be at school, therefore we can train for two hours in the morning, uh, come back in the afternoon, do an hour in the gym, another two hours in the pool, and then an hour of stretching before they go home. And then the next day might be a slightly easier day, and then we might kind of repeat that the day after, right? So that's kind of the context from which I came, and then arriving at the Hawthorne's, um, it's a completely different setup, right? So the Hawthorne's focus was around all-roundedness and creating um, people who were, were good athletes, were good musicians, were good uh, at, at academics. And so the context there is quite different. And I think probably initially you sort of are a bit uh, Gung ho, and you sort of charge in, and then you quickly realize, like, m- my approach doesn't quite work here. So we're <laughs> going to have to adapt and adjust things a little bit, right? Um, but it was a really interesting um, process for me. And I think uh, Tim Johns, the headmaster at the time, We he always used to talk about kind of excellence. And I'd say, Tim, we need to redefine it as excellence within the context of all roundedness, because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, you know, can we tweak the numbers? Can we get it as good as possible without kind of tipping over the balance where people can no longer have the time to do all these other things that they want to do as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so there was a kind of a bit of learning um, to do coming in from my side. Um, But I think the swimming worked particularly well and, and largely because there'd been some kind of great teachers and coaches and and people involved in getting the school swimming structured to the point where it could kind of accept this Bolshi guy coming in and doing something. Um, there weren't a lot of schools around at the time that had the facilities that the Hawthorns had, um, mm-hmm. who had kind of the, the swim school background that the Hawthorns had. And so you had a good group of people at a at a good level of competency that you could sort of build from. Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely a bit of a learning process. Um, but but yeah, yeah, I think it, it was, was, it was, was a good time.
1: it was when I think I remember a specific moment um, when uh, like uh, we were, we were being asked what our diet plans were over the Christmas break. And like my mum was just being like, do we really, do we really need to be watching like the carb levels? <laughs> uh, like, you know, as an 11 year old, oh. but I, I, do you know what, like looking back, I thought it was a great experience and like, it will always stick out in my memory of, it's where I, yeah, I, I think, you know, took took sport and took performance to a new level. Like it wasn't about just taking part, which often school yeah. sport can kind of have that feel about it. Like it was, if you're gonna do it, let's do it really properly. And yeah, yeah. it was, it was and clear I think, that you- I think you, you
0: learn a lot from that. Like, you know, when, when the expectation moves beyond kind of just doing just participating Um, and suddenly someone else has an expectation of you and then your own expectation of yourself kind of rises with that right and so Mm -hmm. yeah i i kind of found in all of you guys that um if if we had kind of day one said this is what we're going to do everyone would have gone yeah i'm not so sure but kind of after a little while everyone kind of goes yeah we can definitely do that because We've kind of grown into that expectation. Yep. So sometimes you need those kind of people to come along and kind of sh- expect more of you.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Even if that's uncomfortable, even yeah, if it means no getting no. stuck on the side of the pool.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that is definitely what it felt like. Um, but yeah, how how did you, you know, coming in there as you said, like quite gung ho and with all these kind of South African values? How did you, how did you find the general environment like did you find that there were things that that frustrated you 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 sort of mentioned this kind of all-roundedness that that school champions do you do you think that's a positive and good thing full stop or do you think sometimes that can be a bit a bit of a, a bit of a um difficult one to actually balance in reality
0: i think that's a tough one like i think for for 90% of the population i think that That all-rounded approach is probably the right approach. Um, But equally, for those who kind of go on to do some incredible things and have the talent and ambition and want and desire and all those, Mm. the whole kind of package that makes you into that Olympian or that um, kind of superstar sportsman or musician or whatever it may be, there's a little bit of imbalance in in those lives. And I think when that imbalance is forced from the outside, as in it's, it's a... A parent or a teacher or a coach or whatever who's kind of driving somebody um, to create that imbalance, then it's unhelpful. But when it's the the child themselves who's kind of going, yeah, I'll never be happy doing all these things. I don't want to do all these things. I just want to be amazing at tennis. And so that's just what I want to do. Then to try and kind of like dilute what they are is also not particularly healthy. So There isn't really a one-size-fits-all, I don't think. Um, But for my own kids, if they kind of go, we just want to be good all-rounders, I think that's really healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't push them for, for anything different.
1: Cool, like it. Hello. I hope you are enjoying the show so far. I just wanted to take the time in this short break to bring to your awareness a little Facebook group that I run, totally free, called The Unboxing Gym. And I'm always looking to connect with innovators doing exciting and new things. So if any of this show resonates with you and you feel you could benefit from connecting with um, a wide array of other innovators, do just simply drop me a message and I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the rest of the show. So, what were your early days? What, were, what what category did you fall into? You know, when you were eighteen, like leaving school, were you were you a swimmer and, a, and an athlete yourself, or where did you think you were, were going to head?
0: So, I think I've probably always had more ambition than talent, um, and <laughs> so I, I've kind of because I can work hard, because I can be disciplined, because I um, will kind of really put myself to something, I'll get to a reasonable level. Um, so, I think competing um, in swimming, the best I got to was about 30th in the country, somewhere around there. And so, you and have, a little bit of talent. Well, it, yeah, you need a little bit of talent, right? But equally, a lot of hard work and yep. very little talent can get you quite a long way, just not all the way. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think. I, I competed um, and I, you know, I can remember lining up next to people like Roland Schuman, who went on to win Olympic medals and thinking, right, if I can just try and hold on to his feet and then diving up and coming up and going, where the hell's he gone? You know, it's <laughs> like, how can there be that big a difference between someone who's like good and someone who's amazing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I competed at a good level but not at an exceptional level. Um, And so I've I've competed and coached at at both levels. Um, And then kind of all the way through life I've done, so at school I played a wide range of different sports. Um, I I swam after school competitively. And then I remember thinking at one point, swimming is really hard. Like I should have played a team sport or something that was more skills-based. Like, you know, a lot of my friends were playing hockey at the time. And I remember thinking, Hockey feels like the sort of thing that if you put the same amount of time that you put into swimming, into learning hockey skills, you could get really good. And And you might have a few more mates as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I remember thinking at the time, like, I really should pick a kind of a skills-based sport. But all the way through life, I've kind of found the sports that I've always been drawn back to are those sports which are about kind of hard work. And... um, and endurance and it being a bit difficult and so forth. So I've kind of done swimming and I've done triathlon and I've done a lot of cycling and I've done some running and I'm a terrible runner, but I'll kind of keep giving it a go, you know? Yeah. But it's all those sports that are always about like having to work hard. Um, and the other sports I kind of enjoy, uh, but I, I never find myself really drawn to them.
1: Yeah. What would you say just off, off the bat question? With endurance sport and swimming and things like that, how, how much would you have? Would you say it's a mental battle? Like when when you look at it, like when you talk about that kind of skills versus endurance sports, is it essentially a mental game, and then that manifests as as your you know physical results?
0: So I think that those sports reward consistent hard effort. Um, and to be consistent, that's the mental, that's the mental piece, because even the best endurance athlete in the world wakes up some days and thinks the last thing in the world I fancy doing today is whatever, going for a run, cycling, swimming, or whatever it may be. Um, and so kind of that ability to say, even though I don't feel like it, I've got the mental discipline to make myself do it. Um, that person will end up being successful because of that that kind of mental game.
1: Yeah, and and that quality is so transferable, isn't it too? And I think yeah. that's kind of what I learned when, when I was in the elite swimming squad was that if you can just really have that consistency and that raise that expectation level for yourself, it can, you can take that into whatever you do, especially yeah. business.
0: Absolutely, I think like for me, <laughs> You know, kind of end of coming toward the end of Hawthorne's, moving on to in, into business. I'd I'd read some books, lots of books, <laughs> and I kind of thought, man, the business world isn't going to know what's hit it. Like I, uh, you know, I've read all the books, I know what I'm doing, and you sort of have this crash landing and quickly realize that there's just so much more that you don't know than what you do. Yeah, yeah, um, and then building any business i guess there's kind of the lucky few who start something and it just immediately takes off and it's it's kind of easy from the get-go right and even they probably have some challenges along the way but for the vast majority of people it's a slug to begin with and it's um you kind of have have those moments where you think am i crazy even continuing to do this there's there's got to be an easier way to make money than what i'm doing right now right and i think that's kind of where that that skill set that you develop as a sports person comes in where you say just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong just because it's hard doesn't mean you should stop actually if you can kind of keep going if you can build up some momentum you can probably get this flywheel starting to turn Mm -hmm. and once you do that and you've got momentum on your side then it's kind of going somewhere Um, so yeah that resilience and kind of being able to kind of keep going when it's really tough. Yeah. a great trans- it, it's trans- a fine skill. balance.
1: It's a fine balance, isn't it? Because I think that is so important, but also you can probably fall into a trap. I don't know whether you ever have, which is like because you're so resilient. <laughs> but literally any keep banging any your time, head, against keep banging head against a brick wall. Yeah, do you find that ever happens? Um or do you kind of know that when to quit and when it's not aligned no, as well?
0: I debated with myself a lot. So I remember so when we started the cleaning business, um the first i don't know maybe the first kind of 5 years it it feels like a short time now but it felt like a long time then um the first kind of number of years however long it was there were lots of moments then when i thought am i just being stubborn and should i just kind of say you know what throw in the towel this isn't for me find something else and partly what kind of pushed me on is i've often been the sort of person who will do something for a bit and then move on to the next thing. So maybe I'll like, I'll give something a really good go for a few years mm-hmm. and then I'll and then I'll kind of go, what's this triathlon thing about? And I'll sort of move on to that, you know. And then after a while of doing that, I'll move on to the next thing. And I kind of felt like I needed to prove to myself that I could stick at something until it was a success. And then once it was a success, if I if I then said this still isn't for me then that was fine. I could kind of walk away head high and say, that's fine. I, I I made it a success. But actually, I've decided it's not for me. What I didn't want to do was whilst I still considered that I hadn't achieved what I wanted to bail before then, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, that does. Um, and and the funny thing in business is that that measure of kind of when you've been successful is different for everyone. So my mm, wife would often look ask, and, yeah. kind of go, yeah, aren't you amazed with how much you've kind of achieved in these five years? And I go, no, I feel really disappointed and gutted that we haven't got further. Like, I'm, I I feel like I'm failing, you know, and she go, but how can you think that? And I'm thinking, well, because it, it, like none of the metrics that are important to me, we've got to. So it mm. doesn't feel what, like we've what got are anywhere. They?
1: What are they for you?
0: They've changed over the time, but I think the first thing in any business is: is the business sustainable? Is it can it afford to pay you and everyone else around you um, at a level which is kind of commensurate with what you uh, expect your worth is in the market, um, and still be turning a profit? And that that has to be kind of the first the first thing is: is this thing sustainable? Can it can it afford to pay its bills? Right? Um, and in the early days, we we kind of see when you grow a business particularly in our our industry in the cleaning industry there's lots of businesses that grow there's a single guy runs it and he starts off and he's he's got a group of cleaners and he sells and he does the operations and he does the finance and he does all the different bits and the business starts growing and you get a whole bunch of contracts and then you're actually paying yourself quite well but you're like run ragged because you're trying to do everything so you then faced with that difficult decision, do I kind of cut my own income in half to hire somebody else? Uh, or or do I just continue with what I'm doing? A lot of people get stuck there. Mm. And we were never kind of happy to be stuck there. So we, mm. we'd we always say, all right, well, time to bring on somebody else. And so we'd kind of keep bringing on more people, keep expanding um, the operations. But in the background of that always being like, we're never quite paying ourselves what we think we're worth. We're never quite making any profit. Like it's, This is just awkward and not going anywhere and so yeah for me once i had in my mind once we were making x percent profit then i would feel like we'd would um achieve something and so when we got there i kind of relaxed and probably started enjoying it a lot more from there and maybe maybe there's things i would have done differently but yeah the the journey's mapped out okay Mm.
1: do you think you sometimes Like for you is the end goal the thing that's exciting like getting to those goals that you set for yourself or do do you would you say you're good at actually enjoying the process as well like the day-to-day and the the tough stuff or do you feel like actually you're
0: i'm quite i can be quite target orientated um that and it's it's different like i guess there's there's that Point where you're sort of fighting for survival. And at the survival point, it's very much just about getting to destination. Like I need to get here. And once I get there, I can start kind of enjoying things a bit more. And then once we once we kind of got to that mark and we were then looking at things and saying, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Wouldn't it be mm. cool if we could do that? Then, then the journey be- begins to become as interesting as the destination. Mm. And so probably where we are now I'm enjoying the journey a lot more, mm-hmm. um, whereas five years ago, I was very much just looking for that that outcome. Mm. But as a person in general, um, I can be quite goal-orientated and forget to enjoy the, the journey.
1: Yeah, I, I can really relate to that thing that you said about how sometimes you you need to prove it a bit to yourself first and before you can then really like do things in it. In a way that's a bit more freed up and a bit more like I'm just going to enjoy the process now because yeah. before you've proved it to yourself, you're yeah, it's it's just a d- slightly different mindset. I I I feel. Um,
0: I think there's I think there's probably also a little bit of ego tied up in that. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's you know when I think when you when you to the outside world have reached a measure of success you sort of then relax a little bit and you're not so worried about other people's opinions and what they think and feel And because you kind of feel like, I don't need to prove anything. Uh, you know, I've, I've proven already. Now I just get to do what I think is the right thing to do. Whereas mm. up until that point, you're <laughs> you're desperately trying to prove it to yourself. But in part, you're also trying to prove to other people that actually I've got this. You know, mm. I, I, I am competent. <laughs> exactly. I, I can do this thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it agreed.
1: I'd be interested to hear whether that shift that you went through in terms of, you know, it being a bit more of like an external validation that, of targets you had to meet to actually enjoy with the process, did that have any impact on how you wanted to run the business and what you thought were like the the important success metrics when it came to sustainability and running the business ethically, or was that something that you've always had as part of the business?
0: So I think that um, as a leader, you have a set of personal values and those personal values will always be a part of, you know, if, if you're the person shaping the business, you'll shape those personal values into the business because it's difficult to squeeze somebody's personal values out of them and um, whatever they are they are mm. um with that said i think that with increased pressure um we're forced to kind of go to go you know this thing is really important to me how important what if it means that like, you don't make any money is it still important what if it means you start losing money is it still important what if you you're going to lose that client because of it is it still important And that kind of really tests where those, which values are throwaway values and which values are kind of things you kind of go, whatever happens, I can't let go of these things, right? Yeah. And so for me, authenticity has always been really important um, and not being, you know, sometimes like, you maybe listen to a politician talking or a business (laughs) leader talking and someone asks a question and you get this kind of like waffly, washy sort of answer that you're thinking, You don't really mean what you're saying, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or you're giving a salesy spin on something, or just like someone really else talking real- almost. Yeah, that, like they, they're trying to paint a pretty picture of it instead of kind of going, you know, let me just level with you. It, it didn't work. It was yeah. a complete failure, and we're kind of moving on. There's always kind of a spin to it. Now, I, I've I've always hated that.
1: Do you like politics? Do um, <laughs> do you like no, do, you, do, you, do you, no. you find it no, generally kind of, too like I that? Because it's not straight talking. I
0: no, I don't bash politics because I know how difficult it must be trying to. Yeah, you're effectively trying to keep the nation on board, um, whilst facing a huge number of competing priorities. Um, and so I think, I think whoever you put in that job is going to have a really tough time. Um, and I think that's the other thing that I find sometimes is you know you'll you go to the pub and. You've got some mates who've been in leadership positions and some mates who haven't. And sometimes you'll hear kind of talk of those who haven't bashing the leaders. And you think, I'm sure there's probably more to it. And I'm sure it's probably they're in a tough spot. You know, I think once you've led for a while, you you appreciate the difficulty of leading. And um, and so I I I don't bash the politicians for it, but at the same time, I do sometimes just think, just give me a straight answer. You know (laughs) what I mean? Um so. Yeah, so there's kind of certain values that that um you, that you'll carry with you, and you and your business will be shaped around them. But then, as you kind of go go along, you as a person will change. Some of the things that are important to you will change, um, and and you then look to kind of feed that into your business as well. So, you know, if we go back kind of ten years, and you say, uh, is sustainability important to you? I'm kind of going, I don't even really know what that is. Like, what are you talking about? You know the environment i'm sure it's going to be okay you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, like i haven't appreciated the, the like the position we're in i've just it's it seems kind of this like distant abstract yeah, yeah, concept. yeah so it's not really important to me so if it wasn't really important to me wasn't really important to my business then no not really um it wasn't kind of fundamental to what we did did we try and do any harm no but did we try and make sure that we trying to prevent any harm being done. Uh, Probably not not that either. Um, But I think as the years have gone on, you start looking at the world and you, you start kind of thinking, it feels like a giant Jenga tower. And as time has gone on, everyone kind of takes their bit out, the thing that they need, you know, like I need coal, so I'm going to take that out and I need this and I'm going to take that out. And Everyone's kind of taking out and extracting the bit from it that they want. And the tower starts to look a little bit um, fragile. And so you start then saying, "If what's the logical conclusion if we all keep doing what we have been doing? Everyone just keeps taking bits out of that tower. It's inevitable that you hit a point where the whole thing just collapses, right? And so... If you're running a business and someone says, if you keep doing what you're doing, the business will become bankrupt. You don't go, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> or maybe you do, but hopefully you kind of go, oh, okay, uh, I need to do something about this. And I think the, for me, the world kind of sits in a place where if we keep doing what we're doing, it becomes bankrupt. The, the, the planet becomes bankrupt. And so we need to change the way that we do things. Were um, there any
1: key moments for you which like kind of woke you up to what to the Jenga Tower and how it could fall down because it's it's one of those things that until you've experienced the Jenga Tower falling down you're just like it, it might never fall down. <laughs> so are there any like key moments that that changed your perspective on the importance of it?
0: Yes I think um not so much for me personally but for our industry when when David Attenborough did his um Uh, Blue Planet series, and everyone started talking a lot about plastic in the ocean. There was suddenly a lot of interest from our client base around use of plastics, the environment, um, sustainability, et cetera. And I thought, I need to learn a bit more about this because I don't think I know much. Um, And so I started, I tend to kind of enjoy reading books. And so I I got into some books that I thought might be interesting. I read an interesting book uh, by the founder of Patagonia um, called Let My People Go Surfing, which isn't a particularly new book, but it talks about, I guess, kind of his journey and how he as a founder went from an adventurer uh, to a um, maker of hardware for climbing mountains uh, and then seeing the devastation to the mountains that that hardware was having and then beginning to change the products that they used so that when someone could climb a mountain, they could leave the mountain as they found it, right? And then the and then how that evolved into an apparel business and then all that that um that they've been doing. And so I found that quite inspirational seeing how somebody could um could use their business for good. So that probably began the journey. And then I read a few books after that that sort of really raised the alarm levels in terms of um this isn't something for The next generation or the generation after this kind of feels a bit tipping point and it feels like we all need to start doing something now um and then you kind of think well you know little old me like what am i going to do you know Mm -hmm. i've got a cleaning business it's in the grand scheme of things it's not enormous We, we employ around 500 people but in the context of kind of the uk cleaning industry there are much larger players and within the context of the uk economy there's much larger players than the largest cleaning businesses and so you start kind of feeling a bit like well what impact can i have and then you start saying well actually we work with a lot of very big corporates and they can have an impact and actually maybe if we start doing things in a particular way it'll gain the interest of some of our competitors who might also start doing things a little bit differently. Because that's kind of the way the market works is that somebody starts doing something and clients like it. And then other people go, well, we need to do some of that. Mm -hmm. And maybe you start with the wrong motivations because it's about self-interest and about trying to get the next contract. But as you begin to kind of get more involved in that thing, you start then realizing actually it is quite important that we do something about it and people's motivations change. So that's really our strategy was let's, let's begin kind of where we can and um, let's look at our business and the impact that that we have, um, and let's look at, at trying to change some of that. And then let's look at how we can um, work with our clients to help to, to reduce their footprint in the context of kind of cleaning services or facility services within their building. and let's try and inspire competitors to to look in and go, maybe we can do some of that as well. So yeah, that's the strategy.
1: It's awesome. It's, it's really cool to see. Um, and yeah, obviously, yeah, got, got accredited with this B Corp sort of accreditation, which yeah, I'd, I'd be keen to learn a little bit more about. But the question I was going to ask was just in terms of, you know, setting that example and it's all you can do. And that creates a, a knock on effect to, to other businesses and other business leaders. I'm interested in a more wider like look at it of how, how can we get to a position where you know in five ten years time like businesses are operating in that more sustainable ethical way in general um you know what do you think is really driving the change is it is it just like business leaders having more um you know reading these books seeing documentaries and having more of an awakened purpose is it the consumer that's that's for- forcing yeah, I think, it or i think what
0: drives where is it coming I from think often often what drives business is self-interest um and if the consumer is demanding something, then it's in their self-interest to meet that demand. And so I think the honest truth is that a lot of businesses will begin to change and shape the way that they do things because the consumer demands that they do. Um, and we saw that with kind con- of with the Blue Planet series. You know, suddenly consumers are outraged that there's plastic straws and we need to get rid of plastic straws. Yeah. And why are we doing this? We you know we shouldn't have all this single-use plastic, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly one business goes, well, we figured out an alternative solution. And then suddenly everyone's buying their product. And then other businesses go, crap, they're taking over our market share. We've been yeah. able to shape our product too. And so business will adapt to what the consumers want. And I think there's a rising tide amongst consumers that are, that is less accepting of business as usual and is, is demanding to see businesses being more sustainable
1: it's sort it's, of um, it, it's sort of ironic in that the capitalism that's led to there being all this plastic in the ocean <laughs> the same the same system will actually now create there being less plastic because that's what the consumer demands
0: but it's kind of also our only hope because the i think humans intrinsically worry first about me and then my family, and then my my friends, and then my acquaintances, and then strangers. And in business, it's no different. Kind of businesses worry about themselves and their bottom line, um, and the planet somewhere further down the line, often. Not, Not for all businesses, but for many. And so when suddenly their market share is being eroded because someone else is doing a better job of meeting that consumer demand, it will force change, and people will invest heavily to create the change that the consumers mm-hmm. are demanding. And that system, which is driven by that self-interest, if you like, um, is massively powerful because people are so keen to hold on to market share, so keen to grow mm-hmm. their their market share, et cetera, that they will, they'll, just say they'll they'll invest and they'll put time and resource and they'll get all the best people around those ideas. Um, yep. So it provides hope.
1: Yeah, that definitely does. That, I would just caveat that, and there's, there's certain examples where – say if you take the fashion industry and there's like all this fast fashion that mm-hmm. like the younger generation actually say in surveys that they're they care about sustainability and they they really want to you know buy the most sustainable products but yet primark and boohoo and and amazon will survey younger markets a lot. will will still provide that you know asos provide a lot of this fast fashion market it really well it's really convenient to buy and they will still buy it, even though the consumer's demanding something more sustainable. So there there are instances where I think the business and the brand does have a bit more of an ethical responsibility to go, I'm not just gonna like do amazing marketing to just kind of push all this product that you don't need. Yeah,
0: and also as consumers, I think we need to be a little bit more authentic to our values and (laughs) and question kind of, if if you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm right behind sustainability. I'm, you know, fast fashion is really bad. I'm only going to, I'm going to buy as little product as what I need to buy and I'm going to make it last. And I'm, but then you're sort of at the sales, buying 10 things you don't need. Yeah. Then you kind of have to question, is that really a value or is that just kind of being popular? Um, with, because everyone else says it's cool to be sustainable. So I'm going to be sustainable too, but not really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So,
0: yeah but i i think that um a bit like if you remember i don't know if you're kind of old enough to really remember it properly but with um with smoking when when smoking was okay in pubs everyone kind of smoked it wasn't really a thing and then smoking became outlawed in pubs and there's kind of like a the attitudes around it began to shift where it was like smoking was cool and then smoking was like a bit annoying if the guy at the table next to you was smoking but not socially unacceptable and then over time it becomes kind of less and less socially acceptable and i think the same thing may happen with Mm -hmm. things like sustainability is you know right now you you kind of go uh the cool thing is to not buy fast fashion but it's kind of not so socially unacceptable not uh, to to go that route anymore. Yeah, like you, it's still cool want.
1: to buy boohoo and wear boohoo, and
0: yeah. But maybe a time comes where actually it's not so cool if you're doing It's that. it's looked down and, upon. Yeah, yeah. And then at that point, the the, the brands have to adjust strategy. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's 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 both and um, brands mm-hmm. need to be responsible, and customers need to be authentic to their values and, and demand more from brands. And it kind of the two of the two forces they're working together will get us to where we need to be
1: yeah I feel like we've absolutely sort of flown through um you know, half an hour, forty minutes of conversation there. So and I think yeah, I've pr- pretty much covered the the areas that I wanted to cover. But um other than just, just diving into a little bit more about my my swimming technique uh, as a as an eleven year old mate yeah. Well well do you remember any of my perfor- like key performances were they did you have I'm high hopes host- or was I more, more ambition than <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was I more ambition than talent as well? Or did you have actual high hopes where I could go?
0: No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I do remember. And you <laughs> might need to cut this. <laughs> but I remember the one thing I remember about you. Oh no, was,
1: this is gonna be awful. This is was, gonna be awful.
0: I can't remember what you had done, but you'd done something you shouldn't have done. <laughs> and I came to you and I put my hand on your shoulder and I said, Harry, I'm really disappointed, mate. And the tears just started coming down, and I, I remember that because I think oh. that's that's what you want from kids, like where it's you're not having to beat them with a stick. You can just kind of say, "I expect more," you know, and they can agree. And they can you know what? Move on.
1: So do I. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've got plenty of, of funny stories of the. of of kids that, um, yeah, now, now meant to be, uh, adults, but, um, no, it's awesome stuff. So I want to just jump into the the final round of the bout where I ask, um, my guests, just a few, few quick questions, um, to round things off. So the first one, you've probably touched on quite a few of these bits in the, in the chat, but first one is what's something that you believe that most people don't, or something that you don't believe that most people do?
0: That's a Tim. That's a is it a Tim Ferriss question or it's a that's um, no, not Tim Ferriss. It's the chap from. He's uh, obviously stolen uh, mine then. Yeah, he must have done. And <laughs> um, I've I've never I can't give you an answer to, to that question because I remember reading in the book once and thinking God, I really don't, I really don't think I'm that contrary. Um, I generally think that that. Uh, most things make sense if you kind of explain them properly. Um, and so I, I seldom find myself in a place where I'm thinking one thing and the whole world thinks I'm crazy. Okay. Sorry.
1: Like it, (laughs) like it, no
0: better answer.
1: (laughs) Disappointing anything just like, yeah, no, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, okay. Second question is how, how would you like the world to be different in five years time? be as you can be as specific or as broad as you as you want. Yeah.
0: So you know the thing at the moment that's really grating me is is uh is kind of like the whole fake news thing and the whole thing of like you can put something on social media and it's true or everyone thinks it's true. Um and so I'd like to see a lot more accountability with what people say online. Um, and whether that's kind of something racist Said, said anonymously to a footballer after a match, or whether that's making up a story about uh, harmful effects of a vaccine or whatever it may be, Those that feels to me really dangerous. Um, and I think we've really kind of seen it impact elections. We've really seen it shift kind of world powers. And it feels to me like something that we really have to get a handle on because it could run away with us.
1: Mm. Do you, Do you think that the key... Because often, if you if you actually ask these people who are putting out news that's potentially harmful, that they think that they're actually spreading the right news and the yeah, right I, information from their perspective. So, who who well, is? I think,
0: I think that there's yeah. So I think that there's um, you have to differentiate between the different people spreading the news. There. So you've got at its very worst, you've got a bunch of people sitting in a in a lab kind of pushing out propaganda right and it's states orchestrated or it's um it's orchestrated by a group with with a financial interest or whatever it may be um so those guys and do you think, think that do you think that,
1: that happens quite a lot like is that something that you yeah, yeah see I a
0: lot. That, that, I that, that happens I don't, not that I see I don't know it for sure yeah but my gut feel is that <laughs> um is that that happens that's just the way economy works um, yeah and I think I think for those people I mean, propaganda is not new. Propaganda has been around for centuries. Um, but it's more how loud the loud hailer is, um, that you can say something and the impact it can have because it it goes to such a big audience. So yeah, you've got those kind of people who I don't think that they're thinking that they're doing the right thing. I think they think they're doing something that suits their, um, their aims, right? And then you've got, on the other hand, the person who gets an article. And he goes, that seems legit. I should tell people about this and shares it. Um and they're not doing that with any malice. It's they genuinely think it's true that they're sharing, but in actual fact, they're sort of helping to to propagate it. Um and so I think just more responsibility for kind of the, if I'm going to share this thing, how sure am I that it's it's factual? Mm. Um and and also as a reader being being a little bit more kind of educated about, am I just going to believe this thing or am I going to seek some other kind of, you know, just because I read it doesn't mean it's true. Not just like I read it. Oh my God. Can you believe that they do? you know, like, okay, but you don't even know if that's true now, but you're already on a rampage about it. Yeah. So I think that we all have a responsibility to kind of fact check what we're reading. We have a responsibility to be very careful with what we share if we're not sure.
1: Yeah, and, and not just kind of fall prey to your own biases, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I've I've noticed a big one with so like I'll watch, for example, the the mainstream news, like BBC News at six or whatever, and, and get a roundup of of what's going on with COVID, for example. But then yeah. like I could also easily get on YouTube, start doing some research, find some sort of much more detached perspectives that aren't necessarily in the same like have to follow a specific narrative and they might be telling a completely different story about you know covid and what it is and the vaccine and you know you can get quite lost in all of those different perspectives like if you're not careful and if maybe your bias pushes you to want to be like more anti-mainstream or super mainstream or whatever it may be without doing that that respect of all different perspectives and being like Having the discernment of, like, well, even though I've seen that on the mainstream, it feels like it could be bollocks to me. Or, but also, this YouTuber who's doing his own videos could also be, you know, talking complete yeah, shit I, as well.
0: I, I think I, I often come back to kind of um, starting off with motive. So, what is this person's motive for sharing the story? Um, and then believability. So, for example, you know, you'll hear things still which kind of say the whole COVID thing is a big hoax um, and it's part of a global conspiracy or whatever it may be, right? And so I, I listened to that and I think, okay, so can we be 100% certain that everything the BBC reports is is factually accurate and 100% true? Probably not. They have more accountability than the guy who's uh, putting a, a post out on Twitter or whatever it may be, right? So there's something there. But then I think about, okay, scientists would have to sort of agree to the the fact that scientists and medical professionals, that this this is legit or it's not. And you can convince a small handful of people to go along with with your coup, but to try and convince thousands and thousands of scientists and medical professionals who are kind of known for integrity and for... Analyzing data and relying on the data to, to tell them the answer, rather than listening to what someone's opinion is, becomes less believable when you kind of think, can you convince scientists and medical professionals all over the world to to all go along with this? I, I, I'm not so sure about that. And so that begins to shape your opinion, right? And everyone's entitled to their own opinion on things, for sure, but. Uh, i just think we have to be careful um and so yeah in terms of that social media piece for me um we need to be responsible with what we read and share and we need to kind of fact check and think through kind of motives believability etc of, of what we're reading but then also potentially there needs to be more accountability for the platforms themselves and mm. that may become legislative and then you get into the the gray area of kind of freedom of speech and how much mm. the government can sanction and all that type of thing. So it's, it's a hugely complex mm. area. and uh, I don't kind of propose to have this. Um, there's just this kind of simple answer. This is what we need to do. Yeah. But it, it, your question was, how do I will, want the world to be different in five years time? And I would like, I would like how we get that, I don't know, but I would like the world to be a place where if you say something on Twitter, you're accountable for that. Or if you say something on whatever whatever social media platform you're as accountable Mm -hmm. as if you shouted it at somebody in the streets and Mm -hmm. that we're a little bit more respectful of each other in terms of what we say. And we don't hide behind kind of anonymous, um, yeah, I'm online so I can say whatever I want, you know, Mm -hmm. certain platforms seem to be, um, just a little bit more, um, nasty than others.
1: Mm. I think just to, to add to it. And the last thing that I said, I think. It also comes from the consumer of, as you've said, like the consumer of the information. Like what I think can be um, can be dangerous is if you are going to any form of media for to find certainty about a situation, because often the answers are there there are no answers or like people just don't know. So like. Covid is quite a good example of, I feel like, something that we really don't know very much. We, we know something about it. scientists are doing research and people know things and they can do tests to an extent, but largely it's very grey and yeah. there's a lot of, I don't know. Like it's, we're learning as we go. Yeah, we're learning as we go. It's potentially very dangerous, but we're just not sure. But then I think people go to the news for certainty. They go to the um, YouTube channels for certainty. and People who can just give an answer that they can pretend is really correct and right will will get more kind of views and people will be like, okay, that that sounds good. So I think also just people being happy to just be in a bit of a space of yeah, things are a bit uncertain. We're not sure we're gonna we're gonna try well, our I'm best. I'm not sure you'll but... ever
0: get there. <laughs> <Do> you know, <laughs> everyone always wants to know, right? You want to yeah. feel secure. Once you want to feel secure, you know, like when Boris... embarrassed. Um, laid out his roadmap and gave dates you kind of go oh, does <laughs> yeah. it mean that 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 we're going to kind of hit those dates no not really yeah exactly but just knowing that there's some plan you kind of settle in and you just feel a little bit more comfortable Hundred um, percent. on your last question by the way and the uh, the person who stole your question is peter thiel
1: peter thiel um, okay. it's
0: of, yeah it's one of his um his interview questions
1: yeah, no, I actually I actually promised that I didn't I didn't steal it from there, but it's probably it's probably a popular <laughs> one that flies about. That's uh, good stuff. Um and yeah, my final final question is when so when you leave the unboxing ring, you get a track to play you out, unlike boxing where you get one to play you in to hype you up. So you're gonna have to pick one track and uh, and explain why. Um and then I'll play you um that song to to leave.
0: Oh geez. Um <laughs> I think I'm going to, have to consult a, a, my Spotify. Consult a playlist. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It'll have to be the song that you. Uh, in fact, it could be a poem for you because I've <laughs> actually still got. I've actually still got a poem um, in our bathroom, which I think you also gave to your elite swim squad just before <laughs> the championship. I don't championship remember any finals. of that. Yeah, do you not remember that it was? It was no, the no, Rudyard Brid- Kipling that. "If," which yeah, fantastic poem. Really inspirational
0: um, stuff. So I'm a big Cold, Coldplay fan. Yeah. Um, so it could be a could be a Coldplay song, um, and it would probably be something like "Adventure of a Lifetime." Nice. Or Sky Full of the Stars." Hey, of you can't give me two.
1: You can't give me two. You <laughs> I'm going to
0: give you a whole bunch, and you're going to choose.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Duki, cool. it's been um been really fun to have you in the ring. Hope you've enjoyed it, and um, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up in person soon.
0: Oh, sounds good, mate.